Welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast. Episode 43, diving back into the Tape Trader Diaries. I'm your host, the Doctor Among Men, Duncan Joyce, and I'm joined once again by the hardest working Triple H mark in show business, it's Mr. Carl Cambry. Hello, it's good to be back. These podcasts really are the thing that keeps me going back to wrestling at the moment, so I'm so glad that we're finally back up and running and recording, so it's great to be back. Oh, yeah, great to hear from you, Kyle. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit of the rigmarole we faced the last time we were going to record? Unfortunately, we were just about to record and Steph tested positive for COVID. So, unfortunately, we had to split the house in half, which wasn't the most ideal situation. So, yeah, that happened, which sort of threw everything onto the back burner a bit. It wouldn't have done us any good, even if you were free, because I wound up with one of those super-duper colds that was going round. That was also the week that we were driving down to Harrogate for our first anniversary holiday, so that drive was a lot of fun. (laughs) The holiday itself was genuinely fun, though, thankfully. I've never been to Harrogate, but, you know, from yourself and other people that have been there, they said that it's absolutely lovely. Since then, we've just been busy, busy, busy. Lots of stuff to catch up. First thing, Kyle, talk to us about Ridley Road. Ridley Road was the project back in our January podcast that I said that I'd been filming and for everyone to look out for. And at the beginning of October, it was released on BBC and BBC iPlayer. It's set in London and Manchester, and it's all about the Ridley Road march and about all the fascists at the time. Even if I wasn't in it, I would have watched it and it was just such a good show and such a real good experience being on there and working in Liverpool for a few weeks and Manchester for a few weeks. And yeah, it was just a real, really good time. It's definitely well worth your time. We watched the first episode. Kyle has a lot of screen time. We were shoved to bits to see him. Oh, thank you. Yeah, go check that out on iPlayer. And then since then, you've been into some more theatre stuff, right? So there's a local theatre company that I'm a committee member for called Phoenix Theatre Company. And we've just recently done a play called When We Are Married. Basically, it's three couples who have all been married 25 years and they are celebrating at a manor house. I played the role of one of the chapel guys and he was sort of tasked with working out if they were actually married or not and I found out the information that they weren't actually married because uh, the person that married them didn't have his certificates and hadn't signed them properly so I sort of turn up and drop that bombshell and as I drop that bombshell certain couples question whether they actually want to be married anymore or whether they want to move on to maybe a different different couple. So yeah, it's, it's a great comedy and, and there was a lot of fun had. Awesome stuff. Kyle, I took Kathy to see WWE Live in November. Fantastic. I'm so, so jealous. Took a punt on it because the cheapest seats were pretty reasonably priced for the way arena entertainment's going at the minute. 
card looked good and it was a fun show overall. Unfortunately, WWE seem insistent that they're going to keep releasing people every time there's a, a day that ends in the letter Y. <laughs> so since then, I've actually cancelled my network subscription for the first time in a good four years or so. Wow. Don't worry, I have notes for the next episode after this one and I have plans for things that won't need the network for our next two episodes. Ooh, that's exciting. <laughs> we will be back for the Rumble because that's Kathy's favourite, but like you were saying, Kyle, I'm a bit disenfranchised with WWE at the minute. It's really unfortunate because, as you're well aware and people who listen to this podcast, like I am very much just hardcore WWE and don't really tend to dip into anywhere else, you know, unless I need to for like the podcast or research purposes. So for me, it's really hit me hard just seeing how low that the content has got, not just Raw and SmackDown and pay-per-view stuff at the moment, but just like the the network in general, you know, it, it sort of bigged itself up of all this brand new original content that you would get on a regular basis and we've hardly had any regular content you know i mean the big drop recently was season two of the ruthless aggression stuff which i've watched but other than that you know it's sort of slim pickings of brand new stuff and like i say the the recent stuff other than roman reigns i'm completely disengaged at the moment which is a real shame I snubbed the latest Saudi Arabia show because of blood money and to be honest I I didn't miss my monthly wrestling show. I didn't turn on the network until it was Survivor Series weekend to be honest. And I'm pretty thankful for my AEW Dynamite backlog on ITV Hub. Well we're going to wind back the clock to a much brighter time in the world of wrestling. This episode is going to be on WWF Backlash 2001. It took place on April 29th, 2001 from the Allstate Arena in Chicago, Illinois. 17,154 fans in attendance and 375,000 people watching at home via pay-per-view. Last time we were here on the Tape Trader Diaries, we were covering the Royal Rumble 2001 quick thank you to everyone who's listened to that show so far it's already above the 200 plays mark that's brilliant well done thank you everyone it's for draw of random steve kyle <laughs> and to be honest he doesn't seem to let up because the guy's back again <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that yeah what's happened in the world of wrestling since the royal rumble 2001 as i mentioned I visited my cousin that half term back in February and I knew that there were actual pay-per-views on Channel 4 now. So every weekend there was a pay-per-view, I'd just check the schedules and see if it was there. And this is the first one that I found. So excited about this. I even customised the sleeve of the cassette box. I drew my own stuff on it and kind of did a a mock-up of what you get on the actual home video releases. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) This one was ultra easy because around about the same time the Daily Star did a special WWF competition 
or whatever. I think it was some kind of scratch card or like match game. And it was Backlash themed, so it had the big Backlash logo. It had the Undertaker's portrait on it. So I just cut that out and stuck it on my tape. And like, there you go. It's a tape of Backlash, now I know it. Jobs are good. Now, the big event to happen in between this show and the last show we covered was, of course, WrestleMania X7, possibly the greatest pay-per-view of all time. There's two real big storylines or plot points that are important for this show and the world of wrestling as a whole that I thought we could just quickly discuss, Kyle. First of which being the WWF title match. Stone Cold Steve Austin regained the title from The Rock and he had to side with Vince McMahon to do it. Huge shock at the time. Austin was Mr. Face. There was no way he was ever going to side with Vince and he was man of the people. So huge, huge shock. I mean, that main event is one hell of a main event. It's one of those... When Undertaker gets pinned by Brock, you know, the guy <laughs> the guy with his eyes wide open. Yeah. When Austin sides with Vince. The build to that match was, when it got into a high gear, it was really excellent. The best parts about it were all on SmackDown. The sit-down interview that JR had with the two men, and then they followed it up the next week with the toast... Yeah, I thought it was great. It captured a great tension in the air. It felt like something had to give and you didn't really know what. Unfortunately, it was Austin siding with Vince and that turn never really felt right to me. Yeah, I know what you mean. I had trouble watching that match in the context of WrestleMania. I'd always get like a little sinking feeling in my stomach and stuff. I was only able really to properly enjoy it as a fan when I got one of Austin's compilation DVDs. Yeah, I think for me as well, like looking back now, not necessarily his downfall, but for me this was sort of the beginning of the end for Austin. I agree with that because now he's a heel... He's having to work a totally different way to make his matches compelling. And with the state his neck's in, it's not really doing his body any favours. No, and again, from a storytelling point of view, it's something new, isn't it? But at the same time, you're sort of sticking him in a tricky situation that he just can't get out of, or doesn't really spring back out of. No, for sure. We'll see this in future episodes, but... There are times when he doubles down when he had an opportunity to get out, and I don't think that helps matters either. No. The other big event in the world of wrestling was the purchase of WCW by the World Wrestling Federation, and that kind of dovetailed into the current Shane McMahon versus Vince McMahon storyline. We'll get into those kind of storyline beats as we go through the actual pay-per-view, but Kyle, talk to me about WCW getting bought out. What was your reaction at the time as a fan? I mean, my reaction at the time was excitement. I was always rooting the the Team WWF flag, so it was kind of like a, ha-ha, fuck you to the WCW fans, (laughs) because I was so engrossed in my side 
you sort of forget the underside of it that isn't storyline. You know, the the real purchase of it and the real money thing revolving around WCW. Straight away, as soon as Shane came on the Titan Tron and says the deal is finalised and the name on the contract does say McMahon and I'm like, oh my God. He's 100% like a hero straight away there. And yeah, so for me, it was super exciting and it was super like, oh my God, what sort of matchups are we going to get now? Yeah, my excitement was off the charts as somebody who regularly watches WCW. From the get-go, I'd kind of accepted that they were in the same universe as the WWF because one of the first angles when I started watching the WWF was the Radicals jumping ship. Yeah. But I still vividly remember tuning to Heat, the go-home for WrestleMania X7, and they open the show, and it's the outline of the WCW Nitro logo. I'm like, wait a minute, I know that. And then it comes out, and I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, and I think, you know, Vince really put all his, his sort of eggs in the, in that purchase. We'll see later on down the line what hurts them. Certainly, it doesn't do them any favours going to their TV providers who have paid a great deal of money for World Wrestling Federation programming and asking them, can we do a WCW show instead? And then the TV guys turn around and like, what, that company that lost $62 million last year? Uh, fuck off. <laughs> But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's take a look at Backlash. This is a big sentimental favourite of mine. Like I said, it's the first thing I'd recorded myself. I was like all up to date on the playground. I can't wait. For me, as soon as anyone mentions Backlash 2001, even before I think of the matches, all I think of is the stage. Yes, the swinging hooks. That's like the first thing. If any backlash, if anyone just mentions backlash, it doesn't have to be specifically 2001. It's the hooks. One of the best stages we've had. It's definitely up there, I would say. Bring those back. We don't need these HD screens. I want a proper stage. I want something different. Yes, please. He who has the gold has the power. He who has the power has the gold. No gold, no power. No gold. No power. In the end, who will have all the power? It's the intro highlighting the match for all of the gold between the Brothers of Destruction and the two-man power trip. And I remember seeing this and thinking that the picture quality looked way clearer than when they just show heat on T4 or whatever. There was definitely a different sort of style I would say the opening pyro hits and Chicago is freaking amped they're a hot crowd every time it's in Chicago they just love it this is according to Jim Ross the 18th consecutive sellout in Chicago for the WWF jeez he's joined on commentary by Paul Heyman this is definitely the first time I would have heard of this guy, probably the first time I'd have heard of his name, because when they throw to clips of Raw and stuff on Heat, they wouldn't introduce the commentary team, I'd just hear his voice, I'm like, who the hell is that, where's King gone? It was really strange the way that Heyman was sort of implemented into the commentary team. 
Mm. Were you familiar with him at all, or was he new to you like me? Yeah, he was. He was new to me. Bit out of the blue, but he's definitely worth his paycheck here on this show. We open with a six-man tag team match. It's the Dudley Boys, Bubba Ray, Devon, and Spike taking on the X Factor, X Pac, Albert, and TNW podcast on Twitter follower Just Incredible. <laughs> Yay! Dudley's a super over in Chicago, naturally. But, oh no, Kyle, they've edited out the Uncle Cracker theme song. Very disappointing. I want my, I got everything I've wanted and I didn't <laughs> I didn't get everything I ever wanted because Uncle Cracker got edited out. I know you hate X Factor, but I unironically like X Factor. I remember the initial promos for this group when X-Pac first brought his guys out and like worried about their position in the company and they were kind of bandying together to try and gain some forward momentum and we'll see how that works out for them tonight. We get a brawl to start this one and a double suplex by the Dudleys into a double stomp by Spike. Then Spike gets gorilla pressed over the top rope onto X-Pac and Justin. Albert hoofs him off a Dudley Dog attempt to gain control of the match for the X-Factor, but then Spike was able to dodge Justin's baseball slide, and that sent Justin balls first into the post. Devon's hot tag got cut off by an Albert cheap shot and a spinning heel kick by X-Pac, and X-Pac does a big hooah to celebrate. <laughs> Devon gets hit with the decapitator from Albert, and he does that awesome dead fish out of water sell for it yeah what's some of your favourite sell jobs in wrestling Kyle well Ric Flair's up there mm-hmm. just a non-realistic sells because they, they are very very over the top yeah. let's hit the mat back up walk around for a bit and hit the mat again <laughs> <laughs> I think Triple H does very well at sell jobs I know people mm-hmm. might disagree with me at that but I think that he does very well with stuff like that I think it's his hair more than anything, you know. Gets swung about a bit. Yeah, I think my top sell for me is definitely Ric Flair. Rock bumping for a Stone Cold Stunner. Oh, my word. Halfway across the ring. <laughs> Jesus. On the flip side, though, who's the worst stunner? Vince McMahon. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of halfway across the ring, the opening pyro has caused a whole bunch of smoke to start wafting down to ringside right as we get another spinning heel kick from X-Pac. Yeah, I, I noticed that. I wrote that down. <laughs> Very uh, concerning. Yeah, this crystal clear picture quality that I was talking about earlier suddenly got really, really foggy. And I'm like, what's this? We get a neat bossman slam by a credible... But then a double clothesline allows Devon to make the hot tag to Bubba and he runs absolutely buckwild. Albert tried to break a pin on X-Pac with a big splash, but Bubba moved out of the way, causing Albert to exclaim, Oh shit! We then get the weather up to Justin. And Devon get the table, gets such a big reaction. Yeah, I mean, they, they were chanting that from the start, weren't they? You know, as soon as it started, it was, we want tables. Oh yeah, 
Pauly picks up on it right away. He's like, Chicago, from what I understand, love the tables. <laughs> Albert cuts off Devon getting the table with a pump kick, and then Bubba missed a stinger splash in the corner, causing him to eat a massive avalanche by Albert and a double super kick from X Pac and Justin, and that gets the free count for the X Factor. They win after eight minutes of action and then continue the beatdown post-match, setting up a table in the ring. But then Devon saves Bubba by dragging Albert's balls into the post. Spike gets a Dudley dog on Justin, and a low blow sets X-Pac up for the 3D through the table. New stable wins, Dudley's get their heat back at the end. What did you make to this for your opening number, Kyle? Do you know what? It actually wasn't too bad as an opening match. I felt the crowd was up for it from the start, they're always going to be into the Dudley boys. Using Spike straight away as a wrecking ball, which you know he's always been good for. Nice back and forth within the match. Yes, the Dudleys lost, but they sent their fans home you know, with what they wanted sort of thing. So yeah, I, th- I thought it was an enjoyable match. Agreed. Nice opener. Like I said, I unironically loved X Factor and I liked this as a showcase for them. It was nice to see more of Spike and just Incredible. Like they've shown up on Heat a little bit, but you know they've only just been signed because, of course, ECW collapsed as well. Yeah. Yeah, the energy from the crowd was a really big boost as well. Kept me really happy. Yeah, nice start to the show. We then see a limo arrive, and JR questions, who's this going to be? Heyman speculates, I'm afraid to find out. And then the security guy steps out and he quips, It's a deaf guy! <laughs> no, in fact, it is the Duchess of Queensbury. I mean, I don't even want to get started on how not of a Duchess she is. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Regal is of the exact opposite opinion, though, Kyle. He gives the security guards a few pointers because America is an absolutely barbaric place. Barbaric, I tell you! They then escort the Duchess to her quarters, but not before Regal lets her know that she looks absolutely ravishing tonight. Regal is so good. (laughs) It's fantastic. Are you aware of the actual identity of the Duchess, Kyle? I'm not, actually. So I'm not sure her exact role, but she has a very senior position in the WWF in terms of outreach. And you know, they have this big relationship with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Yeah. She's basically responsible for that. And she is, I believe it's in the Warrior Wing, but she's a Hall of Famer because of it. Oh, wow. So she's a really big deal. She might not be a Duchess, but she's a really big deal. That's cool, that. Lillian Garcia is backstage and she interrupts Kurt Angle, shining his gold medal. No, no, just wink, wink. She's amazed at how calm he is, but Kurt says that he's confident because he beat Benoit at WrestleMania and he's exposed Chris's best technical wrestler claim as a crock. The clock may show 30 minutes, but to him, it's going to seem like a lifetime. Now if you excuse me, I have to shine my medals. He stares a hole right through Lillian. Kurt Angle has been an unmitigated delight on promos since we've started this series, Kyle. He is currently on our podcasts, Unrivaled, 
There's nobody that's made me laugh and nobody that's got me as pissed off as Kurt Angle. He he has got a very wide range. <laughs> Aye, probably my MVP as well. <laughs> JR and Paul inform us that we've got a hardcore title match coming up next and then show us the ending of another title match that was on heat earlier. So Kyle, it's time for some bonus Sunday night heat. <laughs> we couldn't find the episode in its entirety, but we were able to track down this match. It was the opening match of the show for the light heavyweight championship. Crash is the defending champion, and he's facing Jerry Lynn. It was really, really weird to see Crash with the light heavyweight belt only because whenever I think of Crash I just think of the hardcore title so it just yeah. really jarred it for me <laughs> no but I mean JR says he's an 11 time hardcore champion by this point yeah insane it was kind of sweet though like I remember watching the title change when he won it from Malenko Malenko was this huge dominant champion like he held that title for months and months and throwing Crash in there as the guy had dethroned him, it was a really nice moment. Jerry Lynn, he gets a mic and he tells us Chicago knows what he's all about and he wants to show the light heavyweight title the respect that a born champion like himself can bring. He doesn't show any of that respect at the start of the match because he jumps Crash. Then got spiked with a Hurricane Rana but replies with a total world backbreaker. And here come the ECW chance. Lynn ran into a power slam for a two count and then gets hooked in a bow and arrow hold that he escapes with a pin. Wait a minute. JR tells us that Lita is taking on Molly Holly later on in the show. I guess we'll have another bonus match after this. (laughs) The finish comes when we get a quick exchange of pinfalls that gains the respect of the crowd and then Jerry Lynn bridges out of a jackknife and hooks a cradle with the tights and wins the championship after 3 minutes and 37 seconds. In a fairly reasonable match for the time given, there's a chance for Jerry Lynn to be put over in front of a crowd that are familiar with him. It's just strange for me, Crash seemed to be on the front foot for a long spell of this match, and I'm not kind of used to that. Very strange. I mean, I suppose the, they were doing that with him being champion but like you say it is strange to see him being on the offensive for so long i think if you compare jerry lynn's situation to you know some of the other ecw alums that have debuted recently he's he's kind of getting the the shorter end of the the stick here yeah well it's on to our main event of sunday night heat which i was also able to track down after that revelation from jr it sees Molly Holly take on Lita. Commentary hype up that this could be the first step for either woman towards China's women's title. China won the championship at WrestleMania. It seemed like Lita would get the best of the opening wrestling, but then Molly countered with an excellent fireman's carry, an arm wrench and an Oklahoma roll for two. Lita counters with head scissors, but then Molly lands on her feet from the monkey flip, ducks and enzigiri, and regains control. Then Molly blocked for Twist of Fate with a nice Northern Light suplex for a near fall, before she eventually falls victim to the Twist of Fate and a moonsault that almost went 
very badly wrong, but still got the free count after two minutes and 40 seconds. What do you think of this, Kyle? My first thought was how short it was. I know he isn't known for his long matches, but I felt like the match could have maybe gone on a, a, a little longer. But, you know, the right person won, in my in my opinion. At this point in time, Lita's sort of ready for her big push forwards. Yeah, it was, it, it was an okay match for Heat, I suppose. I feel like they make the most out of it. Just went super quickly through a good variety of holds and nothing really went wrong until the finish. One bit of warning for our listeners, though, Paul Heyman's commentary during this match is absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Back to the pay-per-view. And it's match two of the card, which is a WWF Hardcore Championship match. Rhino, the new champion, is defending against Raven. This was also the first time, legitimately, I'd ever seen Rhino. And then my first thought was, oh, he's a mini Triple H. Oh, come on. <laughs> I thought facially he looked the absolute spit of him. What monitor were you watching this on when you first watched it? <laughs> what, I mean, come on, long, wet hair, goatee. All right, I suppose. <laughs> Raven had very recently turned babyface. This is another thing I remember from he He was wrestling Stephen Richards and... Richards was trying to get him to join the right to censor. Raven told him to get stuffed, and the crowd loved it. Incidentally, he's wearing the same shirt that my action figure of Raven had. That's cool. Immediately at the bell, Raven counters the gore with a drop toe hold into a stop sign for a two count. Rhino has more luck with a running kick into a trash can, and then sets Raven on a steel chair and leaps off the ring steps, but Raven moves... And then it's Raven's turn to leap off the steps, and he hits a clothesline for a two count. Rhino responds with the first appearance of the night of the keep off signs. Rhino gorilla presses Raven's shopping cart while he's standing outside the ring, and hits Raven in it with the face, who was standing in the ring, and then presses the cart into the ring over the ropes. Wow. Very nice. Unfortunately, it didn't pay off because Raven dropped hole holds him into the cart for a two count. And then in another awesome spot, Rhino again is gorilla pressing the cart over his head and Raven whoops him in the face with a trash can and the cart lands on Rhino's chest. Boop. <laughs> it's the most appropriate noise I could think of. <laughs> He follows up by driving the cart into Rhino's gut, only for Rhino to counter with a sign shot for a two count. Rhino then sets up for the gore, but Raven dodges and Rhino runs right through the trolley. Absolutely brutal spot. Fantastic. Raven capitalises by hitting the trolley with the kitchen sink while Rhino's trapped inside, but it still only gets a two count. Raven grabs the sink again, but then gets levelled with the gore! 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 And that gets Rhino free to retain his championship after 8 minutes and 11 seconds. Well, what do you make to this? Very enjoyable. 
I absolutely love hardcore title matches and I just thought it was a brutal match just showcasing two of the hardcore titles sort of big guys if you will who weren't afraid to sort of bash their own body about just the example of Rhino doing that gore into the trolley you know I've walked into a trolley when I've been shopping at Asda and that's hurt so God only knows what sort of pain Rhino was going through when he did that oh this was sensational it would be a big counterpoint that I'd use anytime people talked about hardcore wrestling just being garbage wrestling this is how you put a weapon-centric match on for a hot crowd and still maintain the ebb and flow, the drama and the art of pro wrestling. Yep, definitely agree with that. Raven knew going into this, Rhino was going to keep on charging at him, so he was relying on picking his spots and using counters, whereas Rhino was still relying on his momentum. And in the end... Rhino was just too resilient. He was able to close in on Raven before he could land the finishing blow. This goes all back to, you know, what I've said before in previous matches. You know, sometimes it's about the story of the match. Mm. You tell a good story, you you know, you've half won already. Yeah, totally. And some people seem to think that just because there's weapons involved in the match, you're not telling a story. That's absolutely not the case. Mm. Did you know, Kyle, this wasn't the original plan for Raven for this show? Really? Yeah. As recently as a week before the show, they were promoting that he was going to get a European Championship match against Eddie Guerrero. Oh. We'll see why that plan had to change later on down the line. JR and Paul then start hyping Shane's huge disadvantage because he's facing Big Show in a last man standing match tonight. And that sends us to my favourite Shane promo. It's Shane and the Beanstalk. (laughs) I love this. Hello, Big Show. I saw what you did to test, so I thought I'd try to calm you down by reading from this fable to turn that frown upside down. Once the match started, the giant looked high and low, but he couldn't find Shane. Which way did he go? Up to the top of the mighty Beanstalk. The people were stunned. They can barely talk. The fairy tale ends with a mighty crash landing. And it was all said and done. Shane O'Mac was the last man standing. Nice handy recap of the story and a cute way for Shane to declare his strategy in this match. I love this. I was doing this on the playground for weeks after this. Up to the top of the mighty beanstalk. Stephanie then interrupts Shane's interview with Michael Cole, accusing Shane of living in a fantasy world. But Shane assures her this story will have a happy ending. Well, I'm not sure he's exactly happy, but yeah. (laughs) Everything is relative, Kyle. (laughs) Stone Cold then arrives with Deborah, and both of them look really hassled. Probably doesn't help that Kevin Kelly approaches them, and he's got the most patronising posture on him imaginable. He was such a nuisance in this show. It's proper Mr Burns looking stuff. Like, what are you doing to your neck, mate? <laughs> Austin says he's not going to lose a damn thing, and all Triple H has to do is play his part. 
The Duchess is in catering and disgusted by the food, and then gets badgered by Jonathan Coachman looking for info on the Duchess of Queensbury rules. He almost gets an answer, but then Regal angrily interrupts, threatening he'll send Coach, call it potato sack races in Kansas City or wherever you're from. Now bugger off! Bugger off! Anytime Regal gets to tell someone to bugger off, it's a 10 out of 10 segment. Yeah, definitely. That's our cue for the video package for the Duchess of Queensbury rules match. William Regal had become the commissioner in the lead-up to WrestleMania, but was almost instantly interrupted by Chris Jericho. The little toe rag then got booked in handicap matches for that disrespect, but then retaliated by besmirch soiling the commissioner's tea. <laughs> Regal continues to be out for revenge by booking this match, the joke being that Regal is the only one who knows the rules. The name of this match is actually a play on the Marquis of Queensbury rules, which were the Victorian rules for boxing. I actually went and looked these up. So, rule number one. Have a fair and upstanding match in a 24-foot ring, or as near as practicable. That's, that, that's failed already. <laughs> TNA would never be able to do this with a teeny tiny ring. <laughs> Number two, Vince McMahon's favourite rule, no wrestling. <laughs> Number three, match will be contested in three minute rounds with a one minute rest period. Number four, if a fallen man can't answer the ref's ten count, the ref awards the match to his opponent. Number five, a man hanging helplessly off the ropes with his toes off the ground is considered down. So make sure you're not chilling too long on the ropes. <laughs> Number six, no other people allowed in the ring during rounds. Seven, stoppage via unavoidable interference causes the referee to arrange a future date for the conclusion of the match unless both men agree to a draw. Number eight, you must wear fair-sized boxing gloves of best new quality. And number nine, damage or lost gloves during the fight must be replaced. A man on one knee is considered down. That's somewhat different than last man standing matches from what I, I remember. Yeah. If the opponent strikes him while they're down, they forfeit the match. You're not allowed any spikes or sprigs on your footwear. And in all other respects, the contest is governed under revised London Prize ring rules. And those rules are just kidding. <laughs> We've spoken on previous episodes about his predecessor, so it's only fair we discuss what did you think of William Regal as commissioner? I enjoyed William Regal as commissioner. I felt that it brought sort of a different angle to it as Americans like to do Regal was sort of a parody on himself you know very larger than life and how people sort of view the UK you know under a, a sort of microscope yeah I, I thought it was good again comedy value I think that was a big thing you know for all the commissioners really there was a lot of play on the comedy he is a good performer for this, a great character, perfect for the toadying little authority figure that's 
in cahoots with the real boss. From a character standpoint, I really enjoyed it. I couldn't get over the fact that he was still an active wrestler and he was this commissioner. I thought that kind of cheapened the role a little bit, just because there was a lot of that in WCW when I was watching as well, and I couldn't get my head around that fact. On the flip side, if you think he then worked as a general manager, mm-hmm. but then it was, again, totally different to how it used to be. And then again, it developed even further to him being the NXT general manager. Yeah. And I suppose each time they just got more realistic. That's true. It's a great shame he wasn't around this time to declare war games. Yeah. Yeah. On Channel 4, they cut to commercial after this video package and then accidentally returned to live footage of Vince and the Big Show in the locker room, exposing the show as being on a tape delay. Naughty, naughty, naughty. They did this following the first show that they had rights to show, the 2000 Royal Rumble. They had the, the Miss Royal Rumble bikini contest and the May Young farce. Yeah. They weren't very amused at that, so they start off live-ish, and then every time they go for a commercial, they use that as a delay. They eventually get to the right spot, and we hit match number three, which is contested under the Duchess of Queensbury rules, Commissioner William Regal taking on Chris Jericho. Regal introduces the crowd to the Duchess after suffering some asshole chants. And Paul claims his Uncle Moisten, the peeping Tom, hooked him up with the rules, but he won't share them with us. <laughs> Jericho then cuts a promo insulting the Duchess's looks and comparing her to his Photoshop of Regal as a queen. He ends on the hardly original line. If Chicago is the Windy City, Queensbury must be the Ugly City. (laughs) Both men trade fancy wristlock escapes, and then Jericho goes airborne to gain control. But a missed missile dropkick sees William Regal take over with suplexes and knee strikes. Jericho dropkicked Regal while he was waving to the crowd, as a goodwill ambassador would and hits a second rope Frankensteiner, allowing Jericho to hit the lion salt. But then the bell rings. The Duchess tells Howard to tell us that the time limit for round one has expired. The match resumes, and Regal does a huge suplex in Chris Jericho, and he locks on the Regal stretch. Jericho makes the agonising crawl to the ropes, and then escapes a waistlock and locks in the walls of Jericho for the tap out. But wait, you can't win by submission. Jericho's about to go outside and speak with the Duchess, but Regal nails him with her scepter. Conveniently, it's then revealed that there are no disqualifications in this match. JR is incensed. I got this quote down here, I don't really understand. He's like, a woman carrying a scepter. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really add up. <laughs> He's clocked onto the fact that William's making up these rules as he goes along. He tells Paul, This lady is no more of a duchess, Paul, than you are a queen. 
<laughs> but Paul can only retort. I have no comment for that. <laughs> and then Zagiri downs Regal, and then Jericho goes for the walls again, out of instinct, before remembering the rules, and kicking Regal in the nuts. He then baseball slides Regal face first into the Duchess's lap, and Regal convulses like the proper 1970s comedian that he is. Yeah. <laughs> Jericho downs the security, drags Her Majesty in the ring, and puts her in the walls of Jericho. This then causes Regal to make the save with a huge series of chair shots. And that's enough of a freak out. William Regal wins in 12 minutes and 34 seconds. I get what they were going for here, but it was all just a bit too disruptive in terms of the rhythm of the actual wrestling. Good character work from Regal, but you can take or leave the match, really. Yeah, I'm so, sort of the same with that. The huge pop for Jericho at the beginning. That Duchess seat looks like the most uncomfortable seat I've ever seen. It was just <laughs> flat back. That must have been awful to sit on. The only thing that I I sort of enjoyed was Heyman acting like he knew all the rules. <laughs> that was quite funny. And the, the finish, for me, I'm not having those chair shots and then a pin. Just felt a bit, blech. I mean, it's not as if chair shots and a pin ended the WrestleMania main event a month ago. No, I know, but that's slightly different. And what I mean by that is that these sort of chair shots were supposed to be giving you an advantage. So for me, it had been a chair shot and then Regal's finisher for the pin. Whereas at Mania, it was more shock value. So the chair worked. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Oh, now we get the big show visiting Vince McMahon backstage. <laughs> Now, Big Show, don't you hold back on Shane because he's Vince's son. Exactly. Because his last name's McMahon, I'm going to destroy him. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. (laughs) Including Sunday Night Heat, that puts us roughly halfway through the show. So, Kyle, it's time for half-time question time. Okay. There's actually a a sad bit of news that revolves around this. There's reports coming out this week that WWE are reportedly cancelling all of their DVD home video releases. Yeah, I've seen that. That's not not a good, good thing. No, they've got a couple of sets coming out at the end of this month. WWE UK home video uh, in a similar position and that's apparently wrapping up at the end of March. All of our best wishes to everyone at Fremantle who works with WWE home video there. They do a good job. It's a shame that we'll be seeing them go. Yeah. I saw a question going around Twitter and I was wondering what your thoughts were on it. What, in your opinion, is one of the most influential home video releases we've had in wrestling influential Ooh. so mine would definitely be the history of the WWF championship and they also did a similar one with the undisputed belt 
when it sort of changed its name. Going back and watching all those matches, it just made me appreciate the matches a little more. Because like we've discussed in this podcast, you know, at the time, I don't actually think we appreciate the matches until we've maybe watched them two or three more times or we've looked back at the match and we've, you know, we've noticed stuff that we may not have necessarily noticed before. So for me, I think the history one's definitely a game changer for me because it got me into more characters, it got me into wanting to watch more matches of different wrestlers. One in particular was definitely going back and watching more Eddie stuff from watching his championship matches on that DVD. I remember a very similar release based around the Intercontinental Championship and that was the first time I saw Ultimate Warrior versus Rick Rude and Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect. Yeah. It helped make me more familiar with wrestlers like Rude and Perfect and it kind of changed my perception of Bret Hart a little bit as well. Those are the game changer ones for me because it's so broad rather than a pay-per-view that's just specifically one night i could talk all night about how influential the triple h dvds are but that's sort of defeating defeating the object of your question (laughs) yeah i think that would be my answer the the history one the two big ones for me first the rise and fall of ecw yeah it brought ecw back basically yeah very very good very good dvd that i didn't think that would be the kind of thing I'd be interested in but like the documentary part is the most interesting part I know they had like a a second disc with matches on but that made me realise that I was actually interested in learning the history of the business and it was good to hear stories being told by people that were there and it's just a phenomenal success I bought that, it was in a Oh, it's like buy one get one half price offer with the pay-per-view that came out in the same month. I think it was No Mercy 2004. You know, I got it just because it was in the, the multi-buy. Totally expecting that I'd love No Mercy and maybe, you know, only having a flutter on this documentary. And the rise and fall of ECW just outlives that by years and years in terms of my personal enjoyment. I like it when we find something like that that just just resonates. And then the second one, I know you kind of shied away from pay-per-views, but WrestleMania 20, when that got released, that's the first time that, for me, you really got a WrestleMania with the super-duper deluxe treatment. Like, you weren't just buying that show for the pay-per-view. There was a whole bevy of really, really cool extras is that the one where they put in like the Hall of Fame stuff and all that? No, that was just before. So instead of the Hall of Fame, you got top 10 WrestleMania matches TV special hosted by Ric Flair. It featured a bunch of matches I didn't really have access to. And it had the Mania of WrestleMania documentary on there, which was all the backstage stuff revolving around wrestlemania 19 the year before yeah oh my god it's just such a hectic wrestlemania to get together that year they tried to put the hall of fame out as a separate 
home video release, and I don't think it sold well, which is why they bundled the Hall of Fame with the WrestleMania sets each year after that. Right. WrestleMania is always something that I looked forward to, but that's the first time that I was looking forward to it as a home video package rather than just what was going on with the show. Yeah. Let us know some of your favourite WWE home video releases. Come chat to us on our Twitter at TNW Podcast. Next up, it's a video package for the 30-minute Ultimate Submission match. It highlights Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit and the main finishers of the crossface and the ankle lock. But the man who secures the most submissions full stop in the time frame will win. Doesn't matter what hold it is. I loved this stipulation because I could recreate it in No Mercy. <laughs> it's always good when you can watch stuff and be able to do it back on the on the consoles. Yeah, like you could set up the match modifiers on a, on a regular Iron Man match so that it was only submission. Yeah. The other one I would do, I saw it, I think it was in Nintendo Official Magazine, the only way you could get a last man standing match in the game at that point was to make count out the only win modifier. So you had to take your opponent outside the ring and, and batter him on the floor. So it's our fourth match of the evening, a 30 minute ultimate submission match. Kurt Angle is taking on Chris Benoit. Kurt Angle comes out cutting a promo on Chicago being full of fat sweaty pigs. So he'll make Benoit squeal like one tonight. JR informs us there's a 30 second rest period between submissions. That's half the Duchess of Queensbury rules. And Heyman stresses any submission counts. And then puts over Benoit. Spending a whole year in the New Japan Dojo. This is the highlight of Heyman's performance tonight for me. He makes both men in this match just sound so legit. Heyman is just so good at hyping people up and making us feel like the people that we're watching are the best people, you know, that have ever lived. You know, he, he's so good at just shining everybody up. And it's not unwarranted in this match either. The chain wrestling at the start of this is just in a different league compared to anything else I'd seen. You know, they counter holds like they really needed to. And they had to get out immediately and grab whatever appendage was just closest to them to regain the advantage. You know, real life or death stuff here. Angle rolled out after a crossface attempt and a young Kyle in the third row yells out, (laughs) You suck! Triple H rules! (laughs) Angle keeps taking Benoit down, but Benoit keeps nearly getting the crossface on as a counter. Eventually, a waist lock is exchanged outside, and that results in Benoit tapping Kurt out on the floor with the crossface to put over that submissions have to count inside the ring. Angle then feigns a shoulder injury to play possum and hook Benoit in with a knee bar to get the first legitimate submission and go 1-0 up. Heyman puts over how quickly Benoit taps because he knows he needs to stay fresh for the long term in this match and not risk permanent damage. What a call. Storytelling at its best. Angle, of course, goes for the leg, and Heyman, again, is stellar here. Angle didn't smell a weakness. Angle caused a weakness. However, Angle's chop block is countered with another crossface attempt, 
which Benoit impressively flips over into a cross arm breaker, and that evens the score at 1 to 1. Benoit continues to attack the shoulder and even pushed the referee away when Angle reached the ropes. But that's the distraction Kurt needed to sneak a chair shot and hook the ankle lock to go 2 1 up. Then to add insult to injury, he puts Benoit in the crossface. Benoit has no choice but to submit, sending Angle 3 1 up. This then allows Angle to slow the pace and he just starts smothering Benoit. At the 15 minute mark, Angle goes for a triangle choke, but Benoit's grip is too strong. Benoit counters an abdominal stretch with a cross arm breaker, but this time Angle got the ropes. Benoit locked in the sharpshooter, which got a nice pop. Storied history for that hold in Chicago. Oh yeah. Benoit then countered a German with a vicious half Boston crab, putting his knee in the back of Angle's neck to score a tap out and narrow this to 3-2 in Angle's favour. Angle gets a case of the lumber tail, and as JR quite rightly points out, the clock is Angle's friend right now. We've got 8 minutes to go, Angle is suplexing Benoit on the floor. Benoit then bursts back into life with a dragon screw into the ankle lock, but Angle gets the ropes. Then a desperation dropkick missed, allowing Angle to control the match with a chin lock. Benoit finally jawbreakers out with only 4 minutes left, then counters Angle's counter to hook on the ankle lock and finally make the match tied at 3 all. There's only a minute and a half left. Angle holds onto the ropes after a German, snuck in a low blow and gets Benoit on the ankle lock again. The clock is counting down and Benoit refuses to tap. Finally the bell sounds and Benoit taps after the match has concluded. Angle still thinks he's won because of this, but the ref demands sudden death over time. Angle hooks on a horizontal abdominal stretch, but in his attempt to use the ropes, it allows Benoit to turn the momentum in his favour and lock on the cross face, and Angle taps out in overtime to lose 4-3 after 31 minutes and 33 seconds. Talk to me about this one, Kyle. It's been a very, very long time since I watched this match. So when it first started, I didn't feel like the crowd were really, really on board right at the beginning. Just when they were just grabbing hold of each other, having a proper technical match. And it was only once we saw the first sort of glimpse of maybe seeing a tap that the crowd then were like, right, we're in now. We're locked in and we're off to the races. And then... It got better and better, you know, seeing Angle go 3-1 up and then the comeback from Benoit really got the crowd on board and they were in overdrive by the time we got to overtime. And, you know, that was really showcased when we got the tap and, the, you know, the big pop at the end. This match in general, I just think, showcased just how good these two really were. Sometimes you sort of get two guys that are... Not necessarily at the peak, but two top guys, you know, not helping the other the other person out. Whereas I think these two complemented, you know, each other perfectly, and I think they helped each other get to where they needed to go. Oh, no doubt they had tremendous chemistry. I understand your trepidation going into this, especially when the, the crowd are a, a bit hesitant because they're, they're trying to absorb what they're seeing here. But I think overall this was. A sensational example of 
how you set a completely different tone from a regular wrestling match. Yeah. They started out, pair of true technicians, counter-wrestling, like the lives depending on it. When Angle saw how even it was, he took the first shot what he could find and gained the lead and totally changed his strategy. Having him insult Benoit with a tap-out using Benoit's own finisher was a top-class move for this match. Not only did it mean you were looking for Benoit to chase that lead, but you were specifically looking for him to get the ankle lock for retribution. Yeah. It was only when Angle had to run down the clock that he started wrestling like a regular match, and then he tried being underhanded again, you know, to try and help close out the match, but Benoit still got revenge in overtime. He did a great job of taking a match you knew going into it was going to be long, and they kept it compelling. Yeah, absolutely. We see Undertaker and Kane backstage arguing about Kane's severely injured elbow, but we can't hear what they're saying. Triple H and Stephanie see this and start speculating about whether they're coming up with excuses for losing later. Steph then says that Shane's also going to be making excuses tonight, which is our cue for the video package for the Last Man Standing match. Shane had returned to the WWF in March and was furious at Vince's treatment of Linda. Vince accepted his challenge for a match at WrestleMania, screaming at him, I will never, ever forgive your mother for giving birth to you! Shane would go on to buy WCW from underneath Vince's nose and beat him at WrestleMania with help from Trish Stratus, a recovered Linda, and special referee Mick Foley. Vince had started accusing Shane of recruiting superstars for WCW backstage, and when Shane started approaching the big show, Vince offered the show the chance to go to WCW. But it was a trap! Show betrayed Shane, chokeslamming him to the mat, and then Vince announced Shane will wrestle Big Show at Backlash in a last man standing match. Big Show then attacked Shane's friend Test backstage on SmackDown to illustrate what he was capable of, and hence we got the little nursery rhyme from Shane to try and calm Big Show down. That leads us to our fifth match of the evening. It's a last man standing match, the Big Show taking on Shane McMahon. Fuck me. Show came out, he ran the ropes, and he was going so fast, I thought he was going to make the ring collapse. Do you know, I did think, holy shit, can he do that? (laughs) It's crazy. We sort of get the debut for Shane's Here Comes the Money theme. It's not the final edit. sounded rather different. Mm. Shane came out with his storybook and then plays cat and mouse to lure Big Show into a kendo stick attack. And Paul quips, Let me guess, which way did he go, right? What a great callback that is. Which way did he go? Which way did he go? Did he go? <laughs> Show eventually blocks a shot and turns it into a massive short arm clothesline. Then presses Shane back into the ring. Shane rallies back with chair shots that gets a six count. And then he gags Big Show out with a chloroform rag. This raises the ire of Vince, who comes out and levels Shane with a chair shot, then steals Shane's chloroform. 
Big Show gets up at 7 and then picks Shane up at 8 to start punishing Shane some more with a huge jumping sidewalk slam. Shane gets up at 9 after that, only to get beeled off the second rope and hit with the final cut. Kyle, how many finishes did the Big Show have? Oh, unbelievable. He went through a good deal of them in this match and then he'd go and add like six others in the years after this. Yeah. Show pulls Shane up again, wrecks him with a choke slam, and declares, I'm the man! Kneel before me! <laughs> he hooks Shane in a torture rack, and out comes Test with the big boot. He starts brawling in the aisle with the big show. JR ponders, Where the hell's the show going? To which Heyman responds, Anywhere he wants to. He's 500 pounds. Test and Shane keep sneak attacking show with the keep off signs until Big Show finds a pipe. He chases Shane up the stage with it. Test pulls Big Show down while Shane continues to climb all the way to the top, at least 30 feet high. Yeah. A low blow and baking sheet shots from Test then put the Big Show in position, and he convinces Shane to jump. Shane does the spectacles, testicles, wallet and watch prayer, and then leaps off the stage with a ginormous elbow drop. The count is on. At five, Test realises Shane still needs some help, so he grabs the boom camera, drapes Shane across it, and presses it up, raising Shane over his head before the count of 10, and that gets him the win after 11 minutes and 55 seconds. Oh, what a bunch of chaos there. Straight off the bat, the crowd absolutely love Shane O'Mac, and why wouldn't you? How many shots to the Big Show's head is just ridiculous. Kendo stick, chairs, the lot. Looking back to, you know, how we, we see those nowadays, you just kind of wince a little bit. He was seven foot two going into this match, and then at the end of this match, he came out seven foot one and seven <laughs> eights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I quite liked, the again, the storytelling element of it. Shame McMahon doing everything he could to try and get show down, even trying the chemicals, <laughs> which was really funny. Who would know now that those masks would be more prevalent now than, than they were back then Vince then comes out for the big chair shot on his own son again a head shot Jesus you then sort of think like that's it Big Show's done his thing here and and then we get the big twisteroo with Tess coming out what I don't remember from this is I always thought that Tess and Show sort of fought each other over to the side of the stage and Shane jumped off. I didn't realise the Big Show started to climb. I completely forgot that bit. And then, you know, you know you've got the crowd as soon as the holy shit chants start. I should fucking hope you've got the crowd after a 30-foot plunge like that. <laughs> Shane's stunt matches are always way more fun than they have any right to be, and this was no exception. I loved this as a kid. I loved the fact that Shane kept his word and did exactly what he laid out in his fairy tale. Yeah. I loved his initial rally, then 
Shane nearly being torn apart by Big Show in the middle stretch, Test getting some revenge, and then, of course, the crazy finish. This is a follow-up to Shane getting knocked off the stage at SummerSlam, and from this point on, Shane jumping off a crazy tall thing became a trademark strategy of his. It was a moment for the ages, and... Yeah, this match made me a shame at my fan for all of my childhood. Yeah. Vince is livid backstage. Steph and Triple H try to calm him down. He declares that Triple H is his only son. I only have one McMahon son, and it's you, Triple H. <laughs> that decree would last... Roughly another 20 years. (laughs) Having a random meal in WWF New York, it's Random Steve! Yeah, my boy! Random Steve, Random Steve fills out any match card. Random Steve, Random Steve fills out any match card. JR asks him about Shane's match. And Blackman says he didn't think Shane would even wrestle again after the SummerSlam match. And praises him for his guts. His tag team partner, Grandmaster Sexay, interrupts to break it down for us. The big show is bad and he fixes all whack. But he just got booyed by Shane O'Mac. Give me some. Give us some. Give us some, dog. Give us some. Are you ready for some more sad news, Kyle? Oh no. This is the last appearance of Random Steve on WWF pay-per-view. <sighs> so it's probably the last appearance we'll have of him on the Tate Trader Diaries. <sighs> Goodbye, Steve. He's paired with the Grandmaster here while Scotty Too Hotty was injured. But then Grandmaster got released later on in the year and that broke up the team, actually. Blackman will then end up as the random bodyguard of Trish Stratus. He was a super serious guy who was totally oblivious to her sexuality and help her get changed backstage and not blink and stuff like that. He last appeared on WWF TV on the June 25th Raw that year, helping out with a random plot against the WCW invasion. I couldn't get confirmation of this, but from what I understood, he had a neck injury. And so he took time off recuperating. And he based himself at Heartland Wrestling Association, which was one of WWF's developmental territories. But then, unfortunately, that didn't work out. And he let his contract run down and finally left in October of 2002. It's an emotional moment, Kyle. It is. It really is. Talk us through your favourite Random Steve memories. My favourite Random Steve memories is the nunchucks. Absolutely love the nunchucks. And (laughs) seeing Steve Blackman wear a cheese head. Oh Oh dear. That is also up there. Team Head Cheese was was cool. And seeing him just kick ass in the hardcore division. I think they're my, definitely my good memories of him. Yeah, I loved that I got to see him in, in the match with Kane in our series. That was a big memory of mine, and it was fun to revisit that. Safe to say, though, I did not get the double entendre of head cheese as, as a child. 
our sixth match is a triple threat match for the WWF European Championship. The new champion, Matt Hardy, is taking on Christian and Eddie Guerrero. Matt had only just won the title last Thursday on SmackDown, and they show us clips of that match. We're in the midst of a kind of mini-push for the Hardy Boys at this point. They were heavily involved in the two-man power trip story, and Jeff even beat Triple H to the Intercontinental title. Yeah. Do you see this as a kind of attempt to branch the Hardy Boys out? You think they, they see some singles money in them now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, at this point in time, they were sort of at the top of their game tag team-wise, and what always seems to happen is once Vince has got his money out of the tag team is give them singles pushes. Mm. For me, and I know this isn't specifically 2001, Jeff deserved a world title, but I felt that Matt really did deserve a world title and unfortunately didn't really get one in WWE. Yeah, that didn't pan out. He got the ECW title. I mean... (laughs) Are we counting that? I mean, I like that TLC2 was at WrestleMania. It obviously felt like like a potential to be a bookend for the classic tag team rivalries that carried the division throughout the year, and... Yeah, why not? Do something different with the players in that. I, yeah. I kind of like that Jeff and Edge would probably be the go-to people you'd assume would have single success. But that's not this match. You're getting Matt and Christian having the chance here. So this you know, caught my attention. Yeah. JR plugs that WWF Insurrection is in the UK next Saturday. That is a hell of a turnaround. Oh, when Eddie came out, they brought up a graphic plugging WWF for Music Volume 5 because his theme's on it. And that was my first wrestling CD. Loved a good wrestling CD. Do you remember what your first one was? You'll have to help me out here. It was a green and black front cover. The first one I can think of that had a green and black cover was the Music Volume 4. It might have been that then. Whichever one it was, it had Mankind's wreck one. Mm, yeah. It had sexual chocolate on it as well. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. That was the first one that I got. I'll tell you what else was on it, actually. And this was, again, was a bit of my Triple H obsession. It had him and China's theme track on it. Was it My Time? Was my it? Time, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was my first one. Oh, nice. That sounds like a good set, then. It was all right, actually. The heels double-team Matt at the start of this, and then Christian turns on Eddie. Christian did the body press, and when he went for it the second time, it was beautifully countered with a hurricane runner by Eddie. Matt returned and countered an impromptu doomsday device by victory rolling Eddie for a two-count. Matt then tried to sunset flip Eddie off an attempted surfboard manoeuvre, but they were just too close to the ropes. He ended up brawling with Eddie outside. There's then a really cool spot where Christian tried to backdrop Matt Hardy back into the ring, and Matt turned it into a handspring DDT off the apron. Very nice. Eddie went for a super hurricane runner on Matt. Christian hung on to Matt's belt, causing Eddie to just fall. 
Matt then dumped Christian onto Eddie and hit a double clothesline off the top onto both men. His second rope leg drop then got a near fall. Christian lured him to the outside to eat a sneaky spear by Edge. It nearly backfired and Eddie almost stole the pin. Jeff comes out too and in the chaos, Christian hits the unpretty ear on Eddie. But while he's draped over for the cover and the ref's dealing with Edge, Jeff sneaks in with a swanton, allowing Matt to hit the twist of fate to win and retain his title in 6 minutes 37 seconds. This was a solid bit of business, really. They had some cute spots dealing with countering the two-on-one attacks. Eddie was on point when he was one-on-one with someone, and overall I thought it was a good dynamic and a watchable match. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think there was really good energy. There was lots of slick manoeuvres. I quite like, as you always get in triple threats, the someone does a move, let's throw the other one out of the way and try and nick a win where we can. A lot of interference again. And it's always nice to see Edge and Jeff Hardy, you know, not being on the the card. Yeah, this was a real surprise to me at the time. I I didn't know this match was going to happen. And then they were playing Matt Hardy's title and I was like, oh, wow, that's great. All right, it's main event time. We get a video package highlighting Stone Cold Steve Austin. Show to show. (laughs) Decide with Vince McMahon and win the title at WrestleMania. His explanation? I don't owe you no explanation. Cheers. In the rematch in the cage, the next night on Raw, Triple H also shocked us all and sided with the heels. As JR put it, The rattlesnake, the game and the boss are one vile, ugly, nasty page. Triple H would go on to win the Intercontinental title, twice, and the so-called two-man power trip declared their dominance, which drew the ire of The Undertaker and Kane. Under duress, Regal promised the brothers a match with Austin and Triple H if they could beat Edge and Christian and win the tag team titles, which they did, obviously. And then another Sunday Night Heat moment that I actually got to see... Vince broke the news to the power trip that all of the championship titles would be on the line in their tag team match. And cuts us to a sizzle reel of all of the brawls, especially all the spots revolving around Kane's arm being targeted and injured. Yeah. This is a novelty for me, Kyle. I'd never come across this kind of match before. All the titles on the line in a single match. No, I think this this will have been the first time for me as well. There's an interesting kind of dynamic to mull over here, because like if you're Undertaker and Kane, are you bothered about what title you want to win? Yeah, see, that's interesting, because that can play into who gets the pin, who doesn't get the pin. That's happened in ones that have happened since, but at the at the time, I think it was the sort of, story that they they were going with had a much deeper sense if you will interesting dynamic going into this it's our main event with every championship on the line the team of the intercontinental champion triple h accompanied by stephanie mcmahon helmsley and the world wrestling federation champion stone cold steve austin are taking on the tag team champions undertaker and kane 
someone messed up in the first entrance because you could hear some of Shane's theme play when Triple H came out. Mm. JR points out this is the chance for Triple H to win his first tag team title and join HBK as the only man to win the five big titles in the WWF. Ledge. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever heard Austin talk about his heel run at this time, Kyle. His main thing about why it didn't work is, oh, you know, the people, they they just didn't want to boo me. (sighs) Well, I think he was pretty resoundingly booed on this show. Yeah, he definitely was. But also, I don't take that as a good excuse. Because everybody loves Randy Orton, but if he's a dick, you're getting booed. I'm living proof that it worked. I hated Austin's guts for this storyline. The story didn't feel right in the pit of my stomach. I guess that's what he might be on about, but I was definitely willing to boo him. I think it goes back to that the whole thing about you know he's so many years and so much success as a face can he be a heel maybe that's what he's meaning of his gut feeling of it just wasn't right but still he's in a pretty smart town in terms of wrestling fandom and they hate his guts here fast forward 20 years becky lynch is a heel and on her first pay-per-view after her heel turn half a crowd are holding up the man signs. So, you know. Mm. You tell me who people don't want to boo. True. JR tells us, Triple H broke my arm, stone cold, broke my damn heart. Just love JR. Speaking of broken arms, Kane's arm is so hurt, he doesn't raise it when he does his pyro. See, good storytelling. Austin and Triple H promptly leave the ring when the tag champs enter it and they have a hard time getting back in there during an almost record amount of stalling, including Austin rather homoerotically checking Triple H's eye after he got punched by The Undertaker. I love that. And then when the camera goes back to Triple H, he's like looking over and he's like, you punched me in the damn fucking eye! (laughs) The heels try and hightail it, but get cut off. Kane, rather impressively, does hanging chokeholds to Triple H and Austin one after the other. And in the rather surprising move, he's starting this match. It's asking for trouble, and the heels eventually get to work on his arm. There's a brief spell where there's tags on both sides, and Stone Cold begs off from The Undertaker. Playing into those moods. Taker whips Austin from corner to corner to corner to corner. But he'll only tag Kane in when he has absolute control of Austin. And then the minute that his arm gets attacked, Taker's back in there again. He hits old school on both of the power trip. Triple H gets saved from the last ride by Austin. Running DDT by The Undertaker gives him an opportunity to tag Kane, but he didn't take it. And he pays the price with a Lufez press from Austin. Austin's wailing on him with elbows, but then gets goozled. And Taker nearly chokeslams both opponents, but has to settle for a double clothesline instead. Kane has enough and tags himself into the match and runs wild, sending Triple H out of the ring, hitting Austin with a sidewalk slam and top rope clothesline. 
but when he goes for the choke slam, Triple H attacks the arm and the power trip regain control. They even sneak a chair shot on the arm, which pisses the Undertaker off no end, but to no avail. Triple H's top rope nothing eats the boot to the face from Kane. Okay. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I need to come off the top rope and yeah. it's, a, it's a means to an end. <laughs> Kane still gets pedigreed. Oddly, Triple H takes the time to tag Austin into the match to get the cover. Yeah. And that gives Taker enough time to break the fall. Behind the ref's back, the Undertaker chokes on Stone Cold. Stephanie gets on the apron, complaining about Earl's case of hepneritis, but Earl shoves her off. Kane and hitting Enzigiri on Triple H. That's some agility there. That knocked Triple H into the referee. But still, Kane finally makes a tag, and Undertaker runs wild with clotheslines, big boots, a massive last ride to Triple H. But Earl Hebner refuses to count because he didn't see the tag. What a noob. That had me absolutely furious as a kid. Yeah. Austin knocks the Undertaker into the ref, low blows him, hits a stunner on Kane, and then goes out in the crowd to brawl with the Undertaker. Stephanie sneaks Triple H one of the tag titles, but Kane counters with a big boot, and a big boot to Stephanie! And that gets one of the loudest pops of the night. Vince is furious again, he comes out with a sledgehammer, gets choked by Kane, but is still able to pass the hammer to Triple H, allowing H to hit Kane in the injured arm with it, and then the back of the head. And Vince retrieves the ref for the free count, and we have new tag team champions in their first reign, after 25 minutes and 2 seconds. What do you make of that match, Kyle? Very enjoyable. My one thing that I always, I'm always wary of is when you've got four huge stars come together, sometimes it can be a little disheartening and a little off-kilt. But I felt like they sort of worked out what they were doing very well. You know, like the beginning where Triple H gets the punch and he, he backs back out again and then walk away, teasing a fight, getting the crowd just bubbling a little bit. All the hits that they hit each other with were hard hits and everyone sold really well for every hit. The crowd were unbelievably into the match with, you know, every move that was done, especially the old schools that Taker did on the power trip. Steph always getting hit, that gets a massive cheer. Vince coming out and getting all that heat and throwing Triple H's weapon. You know, by this time, everyone knows that the sledgehammer is the weapon for the game. And it just all worked perfectly. For me, like I say, the the big thing was just seeing Austin as a heel. I just can't connect with him. This is like I was saying about the begging off. Where did this come from? Mm. I personally found this a bit more of a slog. Unlike the submission match, this felt really long. That's down to the layout of the match. The stalling at the start, it didn't eat up as much time as I expected. But I remembered that being like a big, come on, get on with it, you know, when I was younger. Yeah. It's probably my memories and anxieties of this match at the time playing into it because the tape was wearing out by this point of the night as well so I didn't have a clear signal of it 
yeah, I don't know. I think it was solid work, nothing special. For me, it didn't feel like Triple H and Austin had that many ideas of how to control the match. You know, they kind of had the the storyline of Kane's injury going into it because they needed some kind of way to have people gain sympathy for these big monsters. I don't know, not not the best. There's plenty of other matchups that were much more to my taste on this night. Yeah. Kyle, overall thoughts on Backlash 2001. What was your favourite match? Who was your standout performer? Very good pay-per-view. I thought, for me, the standout match had to be the submissions match once it got going. I had a few concerns right at the very beginning, but they were all dashed straight away. My MVP of the pay-per-view has to go to Shane just because of the balls to jump from that height and an honorary mention for Angle and Ben Wall like I say that was my favourite match and they were just outstanding in that match Triple H is always good so I don't need to mention him any (laughs) more than I already do so yeah that's what I think (laughs) don't need to mention him but do it nonetheless (laughs) yeah I love this show it pretty much lives up to my fond memories of it my overriding feelings on it is it's just really, really fun. Like The undercard is super good stuff. Lots of quality in there. Main event's a little flat for my tastes, but I, I can live with that. Everything on the undercard was really enjoyable for me. As a standout match, it's hard to choose between the hardcore title match and the ultimate submission match. I think I'm going to go for the hardcore title just for balance since you highlighted the ultimate submission. Yeah. And my MVP is Kurt Angle once again. Great promo work, great wrestling. He helped make a compelling long match and maybe even outdid the veterans in the main event in terms of keeping heat and keeping people's interest in a match when you're in control of a popular guy yeah definitely alrighty that's another episode of the Tape Trader Diaries in the can that just leaves us to thank you all for listening to our show today if you aren't doing so already you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast and on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast to keep abreast of all of our updates for the podcast when we're dropping episodes etc give us a like on Facebook as well you can find out about the episodes that way we're available on soundcloud stitcher radio spotify and of course apple podcasts best place is probably to go to our soundcloud page soundcloud.com forward slash tnw podcast you can find a playlist of all of our episodes so far as well as my guest appearances on the rory's nitro podcast i recorded again with lee got another thunder and smackdown going head to head I'm looking forward to you all checking out. Next time on the Tape Trader Diaries, it'll be King of the Ring 2001. My all-time ultimate VHS purchase. Oh yes, you'll hear Kyle wax lyrical about this on our last Tape Standing episode, but now you'll get to hear it. Get the full TNW treatment. And it's handy for me because I already have notes for this, so I don't have to... Pay Vince McMahon another tenner to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your eyes peeled on that. 
until then, it's a goodbye from Kyle. Goodbye. Thank you again for listening. That's goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road. <laughs>